Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Well, good morning, Covenant family. Happy Mother's Day to you. We look forward to the celebration. We have a line of things that we want to get right to in just a moment before I open God's Word back to the the 31st proverb. But here's what I recognize about a day like this on the calendar. On the one hand, there can be a lot of joy in this, and it is an appropriate time set aside on the calendar to honor those who wear the title Mother, and we really look forward to doing that. But we also know that a a holiday like this comes with just a flood of emotions and a congregation like ours is not immune to any and all of those emotions. And so as we begin this morning, just prior, in just a moment, we're going to do a a parent-child dedication. We look forward to that. But I want to begin with the following that I think regardless of where you are or where you find yourself emotionally or otherwise this morning, you will see your reflection in the following. So first off, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. And I'm assuming you've managed to be awake. (laughs) To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with the little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss, either through a miscarriage or a failed adoption, Or maybe you have a child that's run away. This church body mourns with you. To those who have walked the impossible path of infertility, fraught with the pokes and the prods, the tears and the further disappointment, know that your church family walks with you. Forgive us. Sometimes we say dumb things. We're trying to do the right thing, but we don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those of you who are foster moms, mentor moms, bonus moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To any of you who lost your mother this year, we grieve with you. If you've experienced abuse as a child at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge that experience and we grieve with you. To those of you who live through driving tests, medical tests, The overall testing of motherhood, we are all better off for having you in our midst. To those of you who made the mistake of terminating a pregnancy in your past, we remember them and you on this day, and we offer you the forgiveness that is found in the gospel that you can live in that liberty. To those who are single and maybe want to be married, but you're not, you're trying to figure out why that hasn't happened, we mourn that life maybe hasn't turned out the way you long for it to but we live in hope with you for whatever God has called you to do. To those who step-parent, we walk with you as well on those complex paths. If you envisioned at this point in your life lavishing love love on grandchildren, but that dream hasn't happened yet, hang in there. We will be patient with you. To those of you who had to place through difficult circumstances your children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold on to that child in your heart. And to those of you now pregnant with new life, expected or unexpected, we anticipate 
with you. Thank you for contributing to new life coming into our church as well. So this Mother's Day, wherever you find yourself, just know your church family walks with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. We have some real warriors in our midst. Thank you for what you do, and we look forward to celebrating. And we're going to look at a passage we've actually looked at in Mother's Day's past, but this one, I, here, here's my reason for kind of opening this one up. Ladies, I want to I challenge all of you this morning, um, and I want to do it in a way that's unusual for Mother's Day, but I also want to say this at the outset as we're looking at a text of Scripture that a lot of women can't stand. Can we just be honest about that? This is not going to be what some of you fear that it will be. In fact, my, my earnest, heartfelt prayer uh, is that it will be exactly the opposite. Because I know some of you are looking at this scripture reference and you dread this passage because you have over your life compared yourself to this woman and all the ways that you felt short and you've been misreading this text. And the way I know that is because you keep looking for your own shortcomings in comparison to this other woman. And this is something even my own wife has fell victim to. We were some years into our marriage. She was reading this particular passage, and she looked up at me and she said, You know, honey, nobody likes this woman. <laughs> nobody. Right? I mean, it's just, it, it seems that way at least. I don't want you to be afraid of this passage. And I think one of the reasons a lot of women, especially, are afraid of it is because people in my line of work haven't really taught you the right way to read it. Can I just be honest? I'm not sure I, as a young preacher, taught my sisters in Christ the correct understanding of, of Proverbs 31. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we come to Scripture with a set of lenses we don't even realize we're wearing. And we misread it, not realizing we're misreading it. We at Covenant believe Scripture is infallible. What that means is we don't believe Scripture can lead you astray. But, but that accounts, though, for the fact that my brain only weighs three pounds. And it is fallen. And sometimes it misses things. And so if there's a misunderstanding of the text, it's not the fault of the text. It's my fault. Right? And so what I want us to do is put some different lenses on. I, I've been going to the eye doctor since I was around five years of age. And they detected that I had a really acute nearsightedness. And every single year that I go, they put that thing on me that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger from the sixth day. And, and then they, they, they run the full spectrum of eyeglass and contact lens prescriptions through there. How many of you have been to the eye doctor? You've been, is it number one? Is it number two? Yeah, number two, number one. But here's the real test. When I tell them, yeah, I'm seeing just fine, they don't take my word for it. They say, are your contacts in? Are your glasses on? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. All right, cover your left eye. Cover your right eye. Read the bottom line of the chart. And if I can't read that chart, the problem is not the chart, is it? The problem is I've got the wrong prescription. And there's a lot of people that have been conditioned by a particular cultural way that we've read Proverbs 31, and, and, and it causes them to read it through a particularly harmful, inaccurate lens. And that lens is a myth that I want to bust today. It may seem a little ironic that I would bust this particular myth on Mother's Day, but sometimes shock value can be a good thing. All right, so here goes. You ready? There is a saying within the evangelical church in the West that goes something like this. There is no higher calling on a woman than to be a wife and a mother. And I'm going to tell you this morning, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's like the air went out of the room or something. <laughs> well, it is. It's just simply not true. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that being a wife and being a mother is not an incredibly high call because it is. 
But when you buy into the myth that says it's the highest calling, nothing is more important. There's a couple of things that happen. I don't even think we mean to do it, but we do it nonetheless. The first is this. If we've got a single sister in this crowd, we just sent her to the margins. And you, do you, would you like for me to take about an hour to trace for you the last 2,000 years of the Christian church and the way the kingdom exploded in size and impact due exclusively to single sisters in Christ? When we push them to the margins, we're not just abusing them. We're neutering the mission of God. What does it say to a woman who, for whatever reason, has no children? And so to my sisters, let me say this morning, just right out of the gate, if God doesn't grant you a husband or children, the lack of those things will not, unless you let it, keep you from what God has created you to be and what he has called you to accomplish. And the reason that's true is because being a wife and a mother is not your highest calling. It's not. Here's the second thing we do. It, we tempt women who are married and have children. See, their whole identity is wrapped up in this thing. My wife, my husband, my, we, she's defined by who she's married to and who she gave birth to. Here, that's where a lot of, y'all know, know what mom guilt is, right? It's something dads hardly ever feel. There, there's a multiplicity of reasons for that, but a lot of mom guilt actually comes from this. Because if you wrapped your whole identity up in your kids and they rebel, what does that say about you? Right? What, what, if, what if they don't perform well in school? What if they become adults, but they can't be functioning like adults, like they can't hold down a good job? What if, what if they don't bathe regularly? Well, that's true of all of our children, but eventually. <laughs> what about your husband? Identified in that relationship, that relationship is primary, all of that is true, but your whole identity wrapped up in a guy? What if, what if he's abusive? What if he fails? What if he has low self-esteem? What if he is clinically depressed and for medical reasons? There's just no way for you to make him happy anymore. And then all of that gets projected back onto you because you've fallen for the lie that your highest calling is to be a wife and a mother. And then you read Proverbs 31 the wrong way, and it just becomes another weight around your soul. If you're not a wife or a mother and you fall for this myth, that's the other part of it. You'll always feel inadequate, incomplete. You may even spend your life chasing something God might not even have for you, and you completely miss what he intends for your life. You have the, a high call that you're missing because you're looking at the wrong thing as the highest value. And so if you're a wife, you have a high call in that role. Same if you're a mother. But to fulfill those roles well, you cannot say, this is my highest calling. And so here's what I want today. I want my single sisters in Christ to be released from any kind of feeling of inadequacy because you're not in a relationship and that somehow makes you feel inadequate or incomplete. I want my married sisters to be released from any sense of incompleteness you may be feeling because it's Mother's Day and nobody's calling you mom yet. I want my sisters who are wives and mothers on this day to be released from the perpetual guilt that comes from having your whole identity tied up and wrapped up in other people. And this is how we do it. Ladies, your highest calling is to be a woman of God. Period. That's it. All right? And, and we know that even when we look at Proverbs 31 in the right way. See, the, the woman that's being described here that my wife doesn't like, that so many other women do, like, she's, she's fictional. 
She's, she's not, it, scripture isn't talking about a real woman here. And, and that becomes clear when the whole proverb is taken together. These words are spoken by a king named Lemuel to his son. They're words that Lemuel taught to him. They begin with verse 3. He says to his son, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. And so here's what we see right out of the gate. Proverbs as a whole is not even, Proverbs 31, is not even directed to women. It's directed to a young man whose father is telling him, you need to marry, if you marry, marry the right kind of woman. And we have these colloquialisms in our own culture, don't we? Don't run around with girls who drink, smoke, or chew, or run around with other girls who do. All right? Andy Griffith used to say, don't marry a painted-up woman. Like, we, we have all these jokes, and they can be stereotypical, and they can be sometimes kind of offensive. But even the moms in the room of boys know there's certain kinds of women you don't want him to bring home, do you? This is the advice that Lemuel is giving to his son. Marry the right kind of woman. This is instruction to a son to find what verse 10 calls an excellent wife. And so this, if, if you've been upset, if you felt inadequate, if you felt guilt because of Proverbs 31, sister, it ain't written to you to begin with. How's that for freedom? Right? It, it's to judge what kind, it's not there to judge what kind of wife you are, what kind of mother you are. It would simply ask this question of you, do you fear the Lord? Are you a godly Woman, And the answer to that question is not inherently tied to whether you hold the title wife or mother or how your husband or children are doing. It's tied to the singular thing. Are you a woman of God? Because if you are, then it won't matter if you remain single or if you get married. And it won't matter if you're married, if you have children, or if you don't uh, have children. Being a woman of God will define you, which means it will ooze out of you, and you will, in that moment, be the wife and the mother that God intended you to be. This making sense? You start with the Lord. Don't tie. You are just as much created in the image of God as is that man, and your value before God is not tied to that man. It's tied to you and to Jesus, the only perfect man who ever lived. And by the way, this, this understanding of Proverbs 31 is consistent with what Scripture from beginning to end would comprehensively tell us about women. The Anglican theologian Richard Bauckham speaks of this as in, a, in a way that can sometimes make people uncomfortable. He calls it the gynocentric voice of Scripture. You're like, does that mean like, like the doctor? No, actually the, 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 Greek, the, the Greek root is gynos. It just simply means woman. The female voice that we find in the Word of God, and when we find these common elements, when we read that voice, we find a large and diverse group of sisters in Christ in these passages. And so let, let me give you five of those in the Bible, and then an additional one just from the, the larger history of the church. We'll start with Deborah, Judges chapter 4. The first description we get of Deborah in verse 4 is that she's a prophetess. She speaks to the body on behalf of, of the Lord. And then, then what comes next, we're not even really sure. It could be woman of Lapidoth or wife of Lapidoth. We don't know what Lapidoth means. It could be a man's name, in which case she is the wife of him. It could be a location that we can't identify all these years later. And so we say, all right, maybe that's the area that she's from. In all likelihood, she probably is married, but it's not the primary way that she's identified. Sisters, God intends for you to have your own identity. Then there's Junia. 
In Romans chapter 16, verse 7, Paul describes this woman, Junia, and another man named Andronicus in this way. He says, they are my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. And it's often assumed that, that they're husband and wife, but it's not explicitly stated there. They could have just as easily been brother or sister or not related at all except by the blood of Jesus. But the point is this. Junia was a notable presence alongside a man who would later become the bishop of Panania, and Paul himself as a kinsman. And so when Paul thinks of Junia, he doesn't think, oh, yeah, that's Andronicus's wife. He thinks, oh, yeah, we, we did time together. We went to prison together on behalf of the gospel. We advanced the call of the, the kingdom of God together. That's Junia. Then Lydia in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his missionary journey, finally, this is the reason you and I are sitting here today is because Christianity became a Western religion when Paul crossed the Aegean Sea and landed at Philippi and he meets this textile executive. Verse 14 says, she was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then later we read her whole household came to Christ. Was she a wife? Yeah, apparently. Was she a mother? Apparently. Is that the primary, the highest calling? No. The highest calling is that she opened her heart when the Lord drew her to himself. These are women who were used by God in a powerful way. Another one is Phoebe. Phoebe is described in Romans 16 as a deacon within the church at Chinsrea. She was the bearer of the letter to the Roman church. N.T. Wright and other scholars would remind us that if you were the courier of a letter, Paul takes this letter, writes it probably in Corinth, gives it to Phoebe. She then is the courier, the gopher, if you will, carries the letter to the church at Rome. But typically it was the practice of the ancient church that the carrier of the letter would also be the reader of the letter. So when we read about Phoebe, we're read about, reading about a woman who literally was the first person to ever read Romans out loud to the first people to ever hear it out loud. These are the kinds of things that God calls our sisters in Christ to be and to do. Lois and Eunice, 2 Timothy chapter 1, the grandmother and mother, respectively, of a young pastor named Timothy. And yeah, they're identified as his mom and his grandma, but he, even as they are identified as in, in terms of that matriarchal authority over this young man, the role of mother and grandmother itself even is subservient to how these roles were used. These women were identified as those responsible for raising a pastor. And speaking of raising pastors, about four centuries after the canon was closed, there's an Algerian woman in North Africa named Monica. She had three children to survive infancy. The oldest son wanders from the faith. He rebelled in some of the worst ways you could think of. Lived immorally, immorally. Dabbled in the religion of something called Manichaeism. So you, basically you take, take Buddhism and Zoroastrianism and put them in a blender. That's what he did. He was just an all-out pagan. And that woman prayed for her son. And it took 17 years before that child came home. His name was Augustine. 1,500 years after his conversion, this African bishop is still one of the most revered pastor theologians in all the history of the church because of a praying mother. Now, all these women, you hear how different they are? Different ethnicities, different parts of the world, different levels of skill, different professional skill. They're very different from each other. But here's what they hold in common. 
They were women who feared the Lord. They were precisely the kind of woman that Lemuel in Proverbs 31 is telling his boy, you need to look for somebody like that. Lemuel says, if you can find somebody like this, boy, if you can get them to agree to be your wife in this world, you will have found something more rare than jewels. And then he goes on to describe what a woman of God, if she does become a wife and mother, will bring into the home. Four things here. First off is she's good for her husband. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. and He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Guys, let me, let me encourage you on this Mother's Day to find the things about your wife that do you good and point those out. And don't just do it today. There are 364 other days in a year. Do it then as well. And I'm going to tell you, even in your own heart, you'll start to see more of what you have. Is she perfect? No. Does she do things that make you nuts? Probably. Just like you do things that makes her nuts. You know, it's funny. A, a guy will get three, five, seven years into a marriage, and, and, and I'll start hearing this. I mean, she, she does this, and I'm just... I'm, I don't know how to get her to stop, and, and it, it won't be anything earth-shattering, right? I don't know. Maybe put your clothes in the wrong laundry basket or something. I don't know. Whatever. I just can't. Hey, dude, you you got to chill out. you got to chill out. And, I, and I've been up front with my wife about this. She, she knows that I say this. I've been married 29 years. She does stuff that makes me crazy, too. And I do things that make her crazy, but here's the thing. She's good for me. And what I've come to understand over 29 years is even that stuff that makes me crazy is good for me too. You know why? If for no other reason than marriage may very well be, for those of us who are honored to be able to be in a marriage relationship, the greatest single tool of sanctification in all of human history. Because you're trying to live with another person. This is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. That woman submits to my leadership. She is a joy to lead. She is not easy to lead. Gentlemen, your wife should not be easy to lead. Otherwise, you're not going to become more like Jesus. She, she's not there to blow your head up. She's not there to inflate your ego. If you wonder why she's got a pen to pop your balloon, it's because God gave it to her. Here's the question you want to ask. Overall, does this do me good and not harm? Some of us, maybe your pastor included, are still alive because we have wives who said, don't do that. Some of us have jobs still because we have a wife who said, don't say that. And you know what happens over decades of that? The heart of a husband trusts it. He has no lack of gain. I, I'm going to venture to say for the vast majority of men in this room, if you can't say that about your wife, it's because you ain't looking. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Number two, she provides, if she's a mother, for her children. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maids. In other words, she gets up early. My thing is, I mean, this is why we don't do sunrise services at, at Easter at covenant jesus is every bit as much raised from the dead at 9 a.m as he is at 6 a.m <laughs> i don't like getting up early i mean i i'll get up early getting a tree stand 
I'll get up early, go fishing. I'll get up early, get, I'm incriminating myself right here in front of all of y'all, right? It, my kids start, I'm hungry. Yeah, there's a fridge downstairs full of food. Well, I don't know, there's nothing I like down there. Well, you know what? If you get hungry enough, you'll find something you like. Mom's always the one running. Hey, what do they need? I got to take care of that, right? We go on vacation. If it's just the two of us, what are we going to do with the kids? This guy's answer, put some newspaper down. They'll be fine, right? Like, it, it'll be good. It'll be good. They're older now. We don't, even have to, we don't even need the newspaper anymore. It's great. But she provides for him. always giving. Got a flower on my lapel signifying a woman that I lost three years ago who never stopped giving as long as she was able. She provides for her children. Number three, her family recognizes what they have in her, or at least eventually they will. Okay, now, now sometimes, this is where I probably need to talk to the guys a little bit. Fellows, be very vigilant when it comes to how your children treat their mother. Okay? Now, kids are going to disrespect their mom and their dad. They're going to do that because they're little sinners. I know if you got a little one and they're all cute and everything, that's all nice and well. It's hard to believe that. Trust me, it, that awakening is coming, right? And so you have to be, you have to make correction. You got to do that, okay? We had to do that not long ago. Any of y'all been brud yet by your kids? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm not daddy, mommy, mom, dad, mother, father. No, it's, it's bruh. And, and they don't, we don't answer that. We just don't. Right? You make those corrections. My boys, when they were little, swatted at their mother. Because little boys, little girls do this too, but little boys, right? Take a, take a swipe at your mom. They did it once. Dad, drop the hammer on that boy when it comes to how he treats his mama. Not just for the sake of your wife, for the sake of your future daughter-in-law, for crying out loud. Teach them what it looks like to respect a woman. First and foremost, before they're a wife, before they're anything else, as a sister in Christ. And you know what'll happen? Eventually, we'll see the fulfillment of 28 and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellent, excellently. But you surpass them all. Almost sounds like he's trying to butter her up, doesn't he? Like he wants something or maybe he's done something. I don't know. Now, all of the above is true for one reason. And, and it's not because she's a good cook. It's not because she maintained the figure that she had on her wedding day. It's not because she can keep all the plates spinning successfully, maintain a schedule with absolutely no margin. Okay? That's a works gospel, sisters. That's what that is. That's a works gospel. All of this is true because of verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Because before she's ever a wife or a mother, Regardless if she ever becomes a wife or a mother, she is a woman of God. Sisters, that's the singular burden that God's word puts on you and no other. No other. Shed all of the other ones so that in the power of the Holy Spirit you can bear this one. Are you a woman of God? And just in case you're getting nervous, 
which would mean you haven't really been listening to me, but that's another subject for another day. And you're wondering, is Pastor Joel using Mother's Day to minimize motherhood? No, I'm married to a mother. We're pampering her today just like the rest of you. We'll take care of your moms. We're celebrating everything she means to us. That woman, like so many other moms in this room, has given without thought of herself to our three children. She is devoted and loyal to me. Everything that the scriptures would expect of a wife and mother, she does those things, and she has been good for me. So I'm not denying that within marriage and the family context that any of that is unimportant. It is incredibly important, but here's what I'm telling all of you. My wife is not amazing because she obsesses over what's for dinner or whether I'm going to like the haircut that she got. Our children are not going to call her blessed one day because she tore herself up emotionally over their weekly schedule. The things that are true about Amy Rainey are true of her because she is a woman of God. Because a long time ago, way before we met, she chose to give her heart and life to Jesus. And because of that, from the time we met until six years later, when I finally got her to go out with me, until two years after that, when I somehow conned her into this marriage, through the next 29 years, up to this moment, she has and continues to love Jesus far more than she loves me. And that's good for me. It's good for me. So ladies, that's what God's asking for today. And that's all he's asking of you today. So let me ask you two closely related questions that'll help you kind of kind of examine yourself. Is this, is this where I'm at? Is this where my heart is? Number one, where do you find your identity? And number two, what is the source of your empowerment? Okay? So who's getting taken out to a nice restaurant getting pampered today? Ladies, can I see your hands? Come on. Oh, we got some work to do here, fellas. Come on. All right. Wouldn't it be nice to get the same kind of treatment today all the time? Wouldn't that be great? I don't know what you're getting today. Spa certificate. Those were gift cards, just Visa gift cards. Thanks to our female staff who told me, don't pick what they want to do. Give them a Visa gift card. Let them do what they want to do. All right. Very good. Whatever it is, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be much easier to parent your child if, if your child thought of their mother the way Scripture speaks of you in this role and they did it every day? If they woke up from their slumber and just looked at you and called you blessed <laughs> every day? Like, wouldn't that be great? Women who find their identity in that will not find any empowerment there. That's why the Lord tells you, you need to focus on me first. You need to take care of those kids that I have for you on loan. You need to do your, your, you know, fulfill your obligations out of love to that man that I gave you. But your first allegiance is to me and your identity is there. That's not the way it's supposed to work anyway. All right? You can't find empowerment or identity in your home. Or if you're a guy, and the first thing we ask each other, what is it? What do you do for a living? Right? What is that? It's at, what do I do? We're, you can't find it there. Your professional life, your children, ever-changing societal dictates. And, and this is true for the same reason that being a woman of God doesn't demand any particular model. Should you be a stay-at-home mom? Should you be a working mom? Should you even be a mom at all? Look, your, your identity and empowerment come from one thing, and that is that God can and God will use anybody who's fully consecrated to him. So give him everything today. 
and find freedom, whether you're a wife and a mother or not, from so much unnecessary guilt and stress in that relationship. Corey Ten Boom was a single woman, never married, lived single her whole life, saved 800 Jews from the Holocaust. That's a woman of God. Elizabeth Elliot was happily married when her husband Jim was martyred, speared to death on a sandbar in the middle of an Ecuadorian jungle by the very indigenous tribe that they were seeking to reach with the gospel. She stayed on that field grieving her husband, continued that work without her husband, raised their two-year-old daughter in the jungle alongside those indigenous peoples. And today there is a Christian church that has transformed that entire Waldani culture in Ecuador. Some of the men who took part in her husband's murder were people she led to faith in Christ who today are elders and pastors over God's church in Ecuador. She loved her husband, but her identity wasn't wrapped up in him. It was wrapped up in Jesus. That's a woman of God. All right? So if you're not a mother today, if you're single, and there's some sorrow over that, just commit to being a woman of God. Be a woman who fears the Lord. That's all he expects of you. If you are a mom, enjoy the family. Let them treat you well. Let them take you somewhere nice. Let them give you gifts. You've earned it. But think also today about the legacy that you're leaving for those children that you're raising. Let them be raised by a mom who is far more than a mom. Now, I get when they're in diapers, the only thing they can see is your role as a mother. I get that. I have heard all the jokes. I'm not even a woman. I'm just a mom, right? I just, I just cart them around in the minivan. I just do this. I just do that. You and your husband work together so those children see you as more than simply their mom so that they can see that everything you do as a mom oozes out of your primary identity, which is to be a woman of God. That's your goal. That's your goal. That when you have left this earth, the legacy you leave behind are children who simply say, we were raised by a woman who feared the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask your forgiveness for times in which we don't always understand it or we maybe perhaps read too quickly and, and, and are flippant with the way that we treat it sometimes. And Lord, sometimes that can be so damaging. So I, I pray for my sisters in Christ on this very special day on the calendar. And I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus to bring encouragement to them today. I do pray, Lord, that a, a massive amount of that, that encouragement, if they are married and if they have children, comes from the, the man that you have given them and from the children that you have blessed them with. But ultimately, Lord, may they find their identity, their empowerment in you, and may they be a woman who fears the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. 
So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.